0: Our second scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. Listen for God's word to you. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning once again. It's so good to see you today um, and to be back with you after a little bit of time away on this trip that I've taken. Um, I want to say a couple of things as I start. First, um, my baggage is not here yet. And uh, so, yes, that happened. So uh, if you're wondering about my little scruffy beard, my razor is in my bag, um, as it turns out. I think it'll be here soon. Um, I'm thankful, as I come back to the pulpit today, um, that this thing is still standing uh, after Steve Fainer was here last week. Amazing. Uh, I'm really thankful for him uh, preaching uh, for you last week, for Pastor Erica in her faithful, consistent leadership. What a blessing to our church, for our staff and our leadership uh, and to all of you, uh, I'm a, I'm aware as I am aware. I was aware as I was traveling for this study leave opportunity, um, what a privilege it is. I mean, a 1% in the world of pastor's privilege to go and have the experience that I had, and you all uh, are so supportive of that, and, um, and so I want to share about it with you today. Uh, I was on a study leave, as you know, and uh, every year there's some study leave time set apart for pastors in our churches to do a few things. One of the purposes of a a good study leave is to learn something, right? To go and uh, engage with new information or something you don't know about. So on one hand, it's a learning trip. And then also to kind of be filled or inspired to have my cup filled up with new ideas and possibilities that I might bring back and share with you. And then third is just to enjoy and to be reminded of the goodness of life uh, in in other ways as I come back into work. And all of these things, all these purposes of learning, um, of being inspired, and of enjoying are meant to really come back and speak to and inform my ministry, my time with you here in our church. So it's a blessing for me, but I hope that it will also uh, spill over uh, in our life together in the time ahead. So today, I want to, um, to give the people what they want. Uh, do you want to see some photos from this trip in Europe that I took? Yes, you do. Um, if you have kids with you, I know they're going to be wiggly. You're invited, the kids and parents, you're invited in the front row. There's some pews up here. If you want to send your kids up to see, they'll be able to see the screen where all the pictures are going to be. Maybe they want to wiggle. If they're fine, you can keep them way back wherever you are. But kids, you're, you're welcome to come up with Theo. He'll be here in the front with Jacob. So... Um, just a note, if you, if you want to wiggle, you can do that. There's also the social hall is available for parents. Okay. You can, well, you're for your kids and for yourself. Um, I, want to, I want to start off by framing this a little bit just from our scripture passage. This is, a, this is a sermon today that's kind of a travelogue about the Reformation trip that I took through Switzerland and Germany. And here's what Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven is like these two things, and they're different from each other. The first is somebody who went into a field and found a treasure. How did that person find the treasure? I don't know. It doesn't say they were looking for it. They kind of stumbled upon it. They were sort of surprised and joyful when they found that treasure in the field. Sometimes we find things that way. You weren't looking for it, but you discover it, you uncover it, and you're joyful. You celebrate it. You say, thank you, God, for this great gift. But other times, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like the merchant, the pearl merchant who's going looking for a pearl of great price. He was out searching for it. Some of us are that way in our lives and our faith. We are searching for the things of God intentionally, consistently, looking with eyes of faith to find it. And when we find it, we celebrate that. So on this trip that I'm about to describe to you, um, I had both experiences. Sometimes I was looking for things. I had a list of experiences or places or things I needed to go and see. I knew that you would ask me if I went to Wittenberg in Germany, where the 95 theses of Martin Luther were. And I had to go, so I was looking for it. Other times, we stumbled upon things, gems, insights, possibilities in this trip where I said, wow, there's something here I didn't know was here. What a blessing to get it. So, in both of those things for myself, I, I, whether I was looking for it or whether I stumbled on it, it's a gift from God, it's grace. And for you, I think it's the same way. I hope as you kind of hear these stories and reflect with me a little bit, you will, um, if you've come looking for something, you will find it. But if you came not even knowing uh, what you're looking for, that God would bless you today with just some insight for your life, maybe some inspiration or some ideas as you move out into your week. Does that sound good? Get on with it, Pastor Dave. Okay. All right, let's start off right here. Let's see what we got. Oh, yes. Airplane trips. How many of you got on an airplane since COVID? Anybody gotten on an airplane? How many have not gotten on an airplane since COVID? No airplanes. Okay, good job. Good job. Um, This was this was a a a flight across um, from SFO over to um, Berlin. No, where did I go? To Zurich and then Geneva. I was in Geneva, Switzerland. So I was on this flight. I got to Geneva, Switzerland, and um, let me see where we went. We went to the cathedral of um, John Calvin. This is my friend Chris, Pastor Chris Pritchett. Some of you know him. He's been here to PCLG before and spoken at a Grove service. A good friend of mine, a Presbyterian minister in Utah. And we had this this purpose together on this Reformation trip to find, to see the sites, the places we've heard so much about in our faith tradition, and to find out what they mean for us. So this is in the cathedral where John Calvin preached, where he presided in the city of Geneva, Switzerland. How many of you have been to Geneva, Switzerland? What a well-traveled group. Oh, my gosh. Uh, my first time to all these places, so um, we got to see that. We got to go up into Calvin's pulpit, and when I say got to, snuck up into. Um, they certainly do not encourage that. There's a rope that says, do not enter this pulpit. Um, I want to just compare, you know, think about, think about that. Um, so that's John Calvin's pulpit, where he would preach actually every day to his church. Can you imagine coming to church every day? What a great time we would have. Um, so he preached from that pulpit, and he and as, just to remind you, John Calvin was a, French, a Frenchman who came as a religious refugee to, um, to Switzerland where he kind of uh, led the Reformation in Geneva, especially around some of those big themes that Presbyterians like to talk about, the authority of the Word of God, how important it is to center our lives around Scripture, the sovereignty of God, the way that God is the one who is in charge the, the, um, of, of um, our lives. So it's not up to us to figure everything out. Actually, God is the one who is in charge uh, and, and uh, over us. Um, so John Calvin preached there every day. Let me see if there's another one uh, there. Oh, yeah, we went to this um, Reformation wall. This is kind of this big memorial there. Um, I'll give you a nickel if you can name these four people. bet you can't. I only know two of them. Um, and I'm your pastor. Okay, so these are, the, these are who's on this Reformation wall. This is in a big park in Geneva. There's John Calvin and John Knox. We know about John Knox. That's uh, who's from... Uh, Scotland, thank you. Um, William Farrell, who was a friend of John um, John Calvin, and Theodore Beza. Um, So this Reformation stuff is big in Geneva, just because that was the site of of Calvin's thing. One thing I wanted to note, having not been there, um, I've always told, some of you were in my new members classes along the way, and I told you John Calvin was a religious refugee from France who made his way all the way over to Switzerland, which you can see from Geneva. Uh, You can see... (laughs) It's, it's not that far. Um, these are pretty close. But um, anyway, this is just a Reformation site. We went from there to the ICRC, the International Committee of the Red Cross. Oh, by the way, there's a lot of selfies in these photos, so just be ready for that. Um, the International Committee of the Red Cross, which is a great organization. We know the Red Cross, the Red Crescent, always available in times of crisis in the world, Um, And they have a great exhibit, which tells the story of their work in warfare, um, related, let me see if there's another one, yeah, people telling their stories of having been helped as refugees um, in time of need. A lot of uh, great work that has happened uh, through this organization. Um, There's an art exhibit just outside here, which I wanted to show you. It's this giant chair. And is there another picture of it that has a, yeah. There's three legs. Can you see that? There's three legs. One of the legs is missing there. So... Some interpretations. Let me see if we do a little um, visio divina. See what this thing means. One idea is that the missing limb represents those who have been maimed by landmines. The International Committee of the Red Cross works against landmines. That's actually a big deal in the world. There's still landmines in a lot of countries that experience warfare. People have lost a limb like that chair. Maybe it's a reminder of of the cost of that kind of warfare. But maybe it's it's a reminder that... um, that there's kind of fragility in the world. You know, the world, which could stand in a firm way as an international community, what if one of those legs got taken off? We'd have fragility. We might tip over. World events happen and, and um, things aren't, we don't know the out- outcome yet, so maybe we'll tip over like that chair. Maybe it's a sign of the fragility of the international community. But then maybe this chair with only one, with one leg missing is a sign of stability. Strength. The way that there's resilience, even when something happens, something bad in the world happens, This chair is still standing. It didn't tip over. It's still standing with three out of four of the legs. Maybe it's a sign of human resilience. I don't know. This is art, so we can always interpret it. Maybe you'll have a better example or um, explanation later for me. But that was something that I thought was really kind of cool. We went to the uh, UNHCR, the United Nations High Commissioner on, Re- on Refugees, uh, something that our church cares about quite a bit and works on quite a bit, uh, the plight of international refugees around the world, the way that we as a, uh, Christians are called to help them and reach out, which we do as a church, so that was really interesting to see. Um, I think we drank a lot of coffee, like those little coffees, you know, in Europe. Like every couple hours, let's go have a coffee. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, And so uh, this is my friend Chris and me, and then we also found all over um, Geneva they have these fountains with little gargoyle heads that spit out clean, potable water. Uh, You can drink it. And so we went around drinking water out of a gargoyle's mouth. I thought it was kind of fun. Um, Very charming. We went out to dinner uh, and enjoyed some fondue, as you'll note there. A very traditional Swiss treat. Um, You know, it's a lot of cheese to take in, but it's tradition. Okay. Um, From Geneva, uh, we went on to, to uh, Zurich, which is the land of Zwingli. This is another one of our reformers, uh, Ulrich Zwingli, um, who was a friend of John Calvin, and they worked together. Um, so this is Zwingli Platz. Um, all right, let's see the church doors. This is the church doors where Zwingli preached, so we went in there. We decided not to sneak into his pulpit, but it was the same thing. You shouldn't go in. Um, and then I'll show you something cool. Okay. So this guy, is Zwingli, who some of you probably have not heard of, I'll show you his statue. There it is. Ah, what a guy. Very important, right? And we were there on this Reformation pilgrimage and journey, and we said, let's, let, let's focus on the, the work, life and work of these important people and what's God going to show us about, about their lives and why are they so important in Europe and why do people here respect them and honor them so much, focus on them. And then, the, then we saw the next photo. This is this guy on a lunch break, checking his phone, just sitting on the statue steps. Very interesting. Uh, his, his paint truck was right next to it. He had gotten out of his paint truck, he had his lunch, he had his phone, and he was just sitting there at the foot of Zwingli, a person who he probably didn't know about, he probably didn't, you know, kind of care about. And so we were reflecting on this idea. We as a church have a tradition that comes from the Reformation time period in Europe, right? A lot of our, um, our church governance and our theology builds out of this important time. And yet, what does it mean Today? What does it mean today to the people who live there? But also, what does it mean today for us? How, does, how do the realities of um, God's word to us matter for our lives now? Or are we kind of like this painter guy sitting there checking our phones, scrolling through Facebook or Twitter on our lunch break, unaware of the things of God right before us? I just thought that was an interesting one. Um, we went from Switzerland, from Geneva and Zurich, Uh, by train uh, to Munich, Germany. We went over to Munich. Let's see if we have anything there. Oh, yeah. Um, And I have a lot of great pictures of Munich. How many of you have been to Munich, Germany? Munich, Germany. Okay. Wow. Gosh. I knew you would like this because you've all been there. Um, I loved Munich. It was an amazing place to be. Um, Just historic and great. We went into a church the first night we were there walking by, and it's called the Church of the Holy Spirit, although Annette will have to tell me how to say it in Germany correctly. Um, The Helgish. I can't say it. Um, and when we walked in, we saw this amazing sight. The front of this altar, this is a Roman Catholic church, was done up with lights, reds and pinks and oranges, and there were, it was filled with people. And there was a band, kind of like our worship band, leading and singing worship songs in German and in English. A lot of the songs that we know, that we, that we sing here, and we, we, we went in and it was filled with visitors and tourists with members of that church with uh, young people the only church I ever saw young people in was in this church and they were singing and praising God and it was like a Friday night kind of just like an or maybe it was Thursday night whatever it was a kind of an outreach thing just among people there so we sat for a while and were really blessed it was one of those moments where we hadn't gone searching for it like pearls we stumbled on it like a treasure in the field this is something to notice for us here in our, in, our, in our setting because a lot of you have heard about and know about kind of the secularization of Europe, right, as a place which was once the, the cradle of, Christ, of the Christian faith, which is now kind of full of empty cathedrals. And I, and I think that, that that's largely true. If you go into the great cathedrals, you will not find vibrant uh, faith communities there. But if you look around the edges and around the margins, that's where you will find them, around the edges and margins of... Um, of, of society, that's where the life is of the Christian faith in Europe today. So this is like a um, a startup church, a, a church plant, if you will, that's using this space, reimagining their their traditional space for lively worship. The next night we went back, and there was another service. It was very similarly lit, and this was led by the Roman Catholic Church, and they had their own band and their own lights, and they were doing communion, and it was actually very similar. One difference, the crowd included a lot more Filipina people, women, Filipinos, who work in the service sector across Europe. And they were there because they're largely Roman Catholic, and they showed up for, for mass. And this was, a, it was a, again, it was like a Friday or Saturday night, not Sunday morning worship, where this, wasn't, this church wasn't even open on Sunday morning. But it was open two nights before that, and everyone came in and out. So what's the relationship there of the old, the tradition, the set, with what God might do within it? whether around the edges, or even within, in this case, the Roman Catholic Church, doing something different. Very, very interesting to see. Um, we were in Munich for three nights. We had a great time, um, as anyone from, who went to Munich probably can, had as well. Um, and then we went on from there, and we, we went to Dachau, which is just outside of Munich. And you've been to this place, where you've seen this perhaps, right? Work will make you free. This was a concentration camp set up uh, within the first months of Hitler's uh, leadership of Germany in the 1930s. Within just three months, he already set up Dachau as a concentration camp to send his political rivals uh, and those he considered undesirable in their nation, Inclu- ultimately including the Jews, but, many, but as well as uh, Roma, gypsies, um, Roman Catholics, um, homosexuals, anyone he thought of as less than and not... Um, who we wanted to be around. So Dachau, I've never been to any concentration camp before in my life, so it was very um, moving to see. It reminded me in a way of um, maybe Robben Island in South Africa, or even of Alcatraz in a way. It's an old prison, you know, and it has that sort of oldness to it. But we heard the story here in Dachau about what happened, and that was um, important to see. We also saw this next to this, which is um, a memorial plaque to the 42nd Rainbow Division and other U.S. forces who were liberated Dachau. Big part of the story too for us as Americans to think about the role we we had to play in that time, and the pictures from this prison when it was liberated um, were amazing to see. So this this kind of started some of the big themes as well around just encountering the history, German history, especially around treatment of of the Jewish people. Um, Something that we had to we that came up again and again uh, where we saw uh, synagogues or um, uh, or. Grave sites or places like this, uh, kind of one of the themes that came up. It made me think about a little bit in our own country, in our own state, California, I guess why there's not as much uh, information about the Jewish in- or the, um, the rather Japanese internment camps in World War II, you know? Something that's part of our own history that's not brought up a lot, not a great moment in U.S. history, Japanese-American internment camps. Just thinking about that here in California where, we had, where those camps were located. Okay. Let's see, so from Dachau, where do we go next? Oh, Nuremberg. Um, we stopped, this is Chris and me, and we stopped by our friend uh, Peter's place. And Peter is a German Lutheran pastor. Some of you have heard about him before because he was uh, my original doctoral uh, dissertation advisor when I started my doctoral program. Uh, he was only with me for one year and then two years after that. Uh, he, had, he, he actually couldn't work with us because the EU uh, labor regulations were too tight, and he couldn't work in the U.S. I don't know why. But um, he's there. He's a Lutheran pastor, and he showed us around the town. It's a beautiful town. Some have called Nuremberg the most German of the German towns. So if you like kind of like old feeling, it's, it's like that. Uh, they have a, I think I'll show you a beautiful um, kind of castle at the top, and it's very fairytale. How many of you have been to Nuremberg? Oh, yeah, I'm not surprised. Um... So it was great. It was really great to to meet with him and hear about his ministry and his life, reflecting on those same themes about the tradition and then what's new about it, uh, what's coming out of it. Okay. The next one I have is that we were on a lot of, oh, thank you. (laughs) We were on a lot of trains. Um, While I was away, Lisa had to pay our credit card bill, and she said, there's a lot of train travel on this. Is that right? I said, yeah, that's that's right. So, um, okay. Next one, next one. Uh, we went from there to uh, the town of Worms, that's Worms to us, um, and in Worms is a site of, the, of um, an important Refor- Reformation um, history. There's this monument, and here it is. It, if you could see it closely, it looks like uh, Martin Luther is kind of like dancing like this. I kind of liked that. Um, I thought it kind of showed his, his spirit, you know. Um, this is the place in um, 1521, 1521. 1521 where Martin Luther, this young Augustinian monk, uh, he came for the Diet of Worms, uh, where he encountered the um, imperial... Oh, yeah, this is, so this is the sort of monument. He encountered the, the imperial um, representatives and had to present his thoughts on what were the 95 Theses. He had to defend himself. And so he went and he defended himself. Um, let me see a couple more of these. This is just... Oh, come on. Come um, on. Yeah, so we, we, had to, we had to have a good time. Um, let's see if we have some more here. Okay, here he is, defending himself in front of uh, the emperor's representatives and the sort of Catholic church. And he, in the end, uh, he said this, My conscience is captive to the word of God. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I will not recant my views. I will not change them based on your doctrines unless you can prove to me and show to me by scripture and, and uh, clear reasoning that I'm wrong. My conscience is captive. So this is part of that freedom of conscience that we, that we believe in, that we hold on to in our churches as well. Later it added this line, here I stand, I can do no other. It was added to the speech later. Um, so it was great. Uh, all around town there were flags and things for, you can see Luther there, kind of the Luther 2021 and then there's these, um, yeah, this is, this is there. Wait, go back. Um, are you saying I'm going too slow? All right, we'll see. Go back one. This is a church where uh, Luther preached while he was there in Worms, so we went in there. It's been all redone. Okay, next one. At the end of the Diet of Worms, uh, Martin Luther was uh, sent out of the city. He left the city. But then, he, on the way home, he was kidnapped. And some of you know the story. It was a setup. He was not really kidnapped. Uh, it, was, it was for his own protection. So his, his protectors kidnapped him so that he wouldn't be killed and spirited him away to the north. Let's see that. Up to Wartburg Castle, where he then translated the New Testament into, from the original Greek into uh, German, and so people could read it and understand it. So that's part of his whole thing. That's the journey there. And he has a sweet haircut. Um, in Worms, there's also this... Uh, let's see the next one here. Um, this... Jewish synagogue, and um, Jews were living in Worms uh, from around the year 1100. So, in ancient times, in medieval times, and had always lived there as sort of marginal people along the walls, the outer walls. There was a series of pogroms of attacks and pressure to kick them out, um, and so this building was was destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt, and the people were moved and they came back. Um, and it's sort of and one thing I noticed about Jewish sites in Germany was that there was a lot of security presence. Everywhere we went, maybe you've seen that there were guards, uh, police, at everywhere that was a Jewish site of any kind, and nowhere else but those places. There's something there. Um, this is a cemetery, which is the oldest Jewish cemetery in Europe, um, and you see the stones on top of the graves, which is a tradition showing that somebody has has visited and is there blessing them. So we walked around in this in this place. All right, let me see. A few more things. A few more things. From this, uh, from Worms, we went to Heidelberg, and it was a rainy day, uh, but it's beautiful. They have a big castle there, and this is a place where the Heidelberg uh, Catechism was written, which is part of our Book of Confessions as Presbyterians. Uh, Luther visited here and argued with the Catholic Church. Um, it's also a beautiful place for a walk, even on a rainy day. It's a great, it's a great place, Heidelberg. Next, we took the train to Wittenberg, because I knew you were going to ask me about it, uh, and it's about an hour outside of Berlin. And um, this is the place that Martin Luther lived when he was a young monk, um, it's, where he, it's where he put his 95 theses on the, the castle wall or the castle church wall or door um, so when you walk, let's see the next one here, when you walk through town you can see that's, that's the, the castle church and at the top you, you'd have to scroll in to see it, yeah there it is, you just walk through town, it's really big it's, uh, I'm going to say it wrong, so it says "Ein Feistberg ist Ostergott. a mighty fortress is our God And we're going to sing that on Reformation Sunday here on October 31st. It's written in big letters at the top. So you kind of walk through town to get to that uh, castle church, and then you get to that famous door, um, the place where Martin Luther put his 95 theses, and the original door burned down, so this is a replacement door, but this is the site where that happened. Um, And a lot of folks come over there, and you get some selfies. Great, great job. Okay. Okay. Then we, we went over to um, Luther's home, which was in this Augustinian um, monastery. He lived here as a monk. He then went and, did the, and started the whole Reformation. And then, something we, don't, we remember about Martin Luther is he, um, he got married. He, he had been a priest, and he married a former nun who he had freed from a, from a, a nunnery, if you will. And her name is Katharina. And um, I think, there, yeah, there she is, um, a statue of her. That was his wife. They had a bunch of kids, and they lived in this former monastery together with all their kids, and they also hosted groups of students there. Maybe you've heard about Luther having those table talks, right, where he would sit around the table and talk theology, and uh, they seemed to drink a lot of beer in those times and and have these kind of things. This was in this home that we visited. It's a great museum, and if you're ever there, you should definitely see it. Maybe you have. There's Martin Luther. There's his wife, Katharina. In their own time, they were kind of um, feminists, actually, where where they were kind of complementarians, meaning that they each had their own roles and spheres, but within that, his wife had a lot of power. She was actually a home brewer, as it turns out. She ran the household and kind of all the food and hospitality side while he, a Herr doctor, was um, writing and um, carrying on doing his thing. So that was, that was interesting. What else we have here? One more. Oh, so then we must have gone to Berlin, right? This is the Brandenburg Gate. How many of you have been to Berlin? Okay. Okay. Um, so when we went, actually, it was all closed down because there was like a, some kind of a parade going on. So we, had, we were riding bikes. We had to sneak around the back, but we did. Don't worry. Um, and just across from, from uh, the U.S. Embassy there is this memorial. This is the next one, which is a, memorial, a Holocaust memorial to the Jews uh, who were killed in Europe. And um, this is a really powerful memorial. The further in you go, the higher it gets. It, it's reminiscent of um, tombs. And there's just, it's just this huge space to explore. You're, under, you're, you're, you're so small, it's bigger than you. It starts out small. You can handle it. But the further in you go, the higher it gets to remember what happened there. So it's very powerful. We, then we were playing tourist largely in there. We went to uh, Checkpoint Charlie, which is pretty cool. Um, there at the edge of where East Berlin met West Berlin. Um, we went to the Berlin Wall, the largest part of that wall that is still standing. Let's see if we got that. Oh, yeah, that's Checkpoint Charlie. Yep, yep, yep. People selling a lot of Soviet-era things there. Um, so we went to the wall. And on, on one side of the Berlin Wall is all murals, painted murals, like just for long, a long way. The other side is all graffiti. And it's sort of Berlin is known for its graffiti in a lot of ways. Yeah, the famous photo. <laughs> that's a real, that was a real picture that was taken. But, um, okay, just looking at the wall. You can see about how high it is. You know, it's, it's pretty high. Um, there's a lot of, yeah, looking cool. It's our album cover picture. Um, this is a church, actually, we were just walking by, and we saw this church. This is a church that Martin Luther King Jr. visited when he came to Berlin. And um, and I don't know, I just thought that was kind of cool. Like, there's a picture of him there, and um, so, it's a little connection. We visited a friend named Susan, who's a friend of ours from from New York, Lisa's New York days, who owns a bar in Berlin. So we went to her place to see what she was up to. We met her husband. Um, and then on the way home, oh, somebody gave me a sweet upgrade. So I was really comfortable. Let's just say that. Um, all right, that's enough of those. Um, all right, those are all, your, those are all your photos. That's all the fun. Now let's get back to serious business. Um, okay, our time is all right. A um, couple of things couple of things, really quickly. One is, uh, the things that I noticed, one is that Reformation time, in Europe especially, the focus was on, um, it was on Scripture, on God's Word, whether it was translating it into German so people could read it, making it accessible so you didn't just have to listen to what the preacher said. You could read it at home for yourself. Um, I love that uh, as a church we were reading Proverbs together, or in some cases trying to read Proverbs together, because I heard from some of you that said, I don't know about these Proverbs. Um... But the, the scripture reading or hearing it on Sunday morning that's at the center of our lives and that feeds us. I hope that you're continuing to be fed by the scripture here on Sundays and in your own life. That was a real focus. I was impressed with what I saw from Calvin, Zwingli, and Luther as, as pastors. They were just regular pastors as well as like kind of Reformation leaders. So they had their parishes, their churches. Um, Calvin preached every day. I mean, he puts the rest of us to shame. Um, but I really kind of appreciated you all as my church uh, people that I get to, to speak to regularly uh, and, and care about uh, while I was gone, I heard a lot of pastoral care concerns, some of you directly with me, some through Pastor Erica or others. I heard a lot about what 's kind of going on in the life of people in our church, big concerns of, of our lives, and how our church is a place that, that we get strength, that we, that we meet God that we are no, that we know we 're not alone, and that 's so important so that was something I noticed. One other thing that came up another thing that came up was um, the way that theology and social change and politics and family life and economics, all of it was mixed together in that Reformation time period. It wasn't as if Martin Luther or John Calvin had the coolest ideas that everyone said, yeah, let's do that. Instead, their ideas really informed people's lives. They mattered to people about, um, how they were, about their finances, about their political freedoms, about the way that they lived their lives. So I think for us, that's also a reminder of the way that You know, we don't want to be just kind of pie in the sky, thinking about big ideas, disconnected from reality. We always want to connect in God's word uh, back into the life that we have, actually into our real lives. And then um, I would just say that we had kind of an action reflection model when I was there. We had this action reflection. We would go out and do stuff, see things, and then sit down together on a train ride and say, what did that mean? What did that bring up for you? What do you think that has to do with us? And that's something we can practice together, too, as a church, you know, action reflection, the end of a week where all the action has happened, we come back into church together. We reflect, maybe in coffee hour, maybe with a friend, maybe here are in worship. What does it mean for our lives? So the kingdom of God is here in these two ways, whether you're looking for it like a pearl merchant and whether you've come here on a Sunday morning looking for some things of God, maybe you found it. Or sometimes we stumble upon it like a treasure in the field. We didn't know it was there and it surprises us, but all of it is great is great—is the grace of God for us. Um, so I want to close my sermon and and this time um, on that note if you're interested in in some more I want to invite you to my supper and study program in two Wednesdays we're going to talk about some of these things and have a chance to interaction some more action reflection I'd love to hear some of your own insights into these things and to talk together so this is a one way conversation but that will be more of a dialogue so I invite you for that God's grace is with us um, in old times, long ago times reformation times God's grace is with us today even for you in your life Amen? Amen. Amen.